Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within, and I also want to remind my listeners that you can watch us on Facebook Live at Resiliency Within Facebook page. Today, I welcome identical twins, Perry Zern, who is an associate professor of philosophy at American University, and Danny S. Bassett, who is the J. Peter Skirskanich, oh, Skirkanich, I was going to not mess that up, but I just did, professor of bioengineering at the University of Pennsylvania and received a MacArthur Fellowship in 2014, which, by the way, is a very huge honor when that happens. Together, they wrote the book, Curious Minds, The Power of Curiosity, a connection, the power of connection. It has been published by MIT Press um, in September of 2022. So what exactly is curiosity? Where does it come from and how does it work? According to my guests, what gets left out in the conventional understanding of curiosity are the relations between ideas and between people. They say curiosity is a practice of connection. It connects ideas into networks of knowledge, and it connects the knowers themselves, both to the knowledge they seek and to each other. We will learn today about the three distinct styles of curiosity they have identified and why it is essential that we learn about these styles. And I think we'll probably talk about much more. So welcome, both of you. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Well, I want to ask you both, and um, you can take turns, and I imagine as twins, you've you've had to take turns in your life, (laughs) but so how has your lived experience brought you kind of to this moment of creating this book together and being on the, I guess, the travel circuit and media? So can you tell me a little bit about your journey? So which one of you would like to go first? I think Danny usually opens us with the early story. Yes. All right. Yes. So, So Danny, I'm wondering, who's the older twin? Um, Perry's older by three minutes. By three minutes. Okay. I'm just, I just wanted to get that clear. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead, Daddy. <laughs> um, so I think um, this has a long history. Uh, I think that we sort of, um, our own curiosities, I think, have propelled us into the fields and, and careers that we have right now. And that curiosity was instilled in us, I think, very early um, by our mom, who homeschooled both of us from the time we were you know, four years old and just really? learning to read to the time um, when we went to college. And um she she did that in, in sort of two ways. One is that at the beginning of every semester, she allowed us to uh, choose the topic that we really wanted to learn about. And then she would collate resources um, on that topic from multiple disciplines. So, for example, if um, Perry one semester wanted to study mushrooms, then my our mom would pull uh, information on the history of mushrooms or mushroom farming mushrooms, um, on art about mushrooms, on um um, this uh, 
psychology, um, all sorts of botany and, and bring it all together into one or the literature around mushrooms, bring it all together around, you know, that one topic. And then we would work on identifying connections across discipline um, on that item. So that instilled in us, I think, a love of interdisciplinary curiosity. How do we bridge these very different fields um, in order to understand the world around us? So can um, I ask you a question? So yeah. if Perry wanted to study mushrooms, did you also get to study mushrooms as well? Or were the were the uh, curriculums very much um, one for Danny and one for Perry? Yes. yes, one for each of us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fairly certain that that semester Danny wanted to study bones. That's right. But mushrooms is a more more interesting story for the for this setting, I think. Yeah. Well, I yeah. just love that. And if our uh, Voice America radio listeners could see you both, you both have big smiles on your face and you're <laughs> talking about mushrooms and bones. Okay. I, yes. I, I, I know I interrupted you, Danny. Please um, continue. Just, yeah. So I think, so there was that, that in, installation of interdisciplinary curiosity in us early and also the um, sort of the freedom to choose what it was we wanted to learn about and what questions we wanted to ask. And so I think both of those features have really stuck with us throughout um, our, you know, growing up into adulthood and now in our uh, careers as professors. What what I think we both love about this job is that we get to wake up every morning and decide what question we are most interested in asking and answering. Um, so that I think is something that very early on uh, brought us to curiosity. But then the the book itself came a little bit later. Perry, maybe you want to take it from here. Yeah, I'll just say, since I think folks like these sorts of stories about growing up as twins, um, you know, there comes a time, we were very, very close growing up, and then there comes a time in every twin's life in which they have to determine how they're different from the other one, right? Yeah. Um, and I think for us, one of the, that, that particular moment really happened in college, where we ended up choosing vastly different fields, right? So I went into philosophy, which is hardcore humanities, and Danny went into physics and hardcore sciences. Um, it's about as far apart as you could possibly be. And yet what's really surprising, uh, perhaps to us, is that actually, you know, physics and philosophy, they've been called twin disciplines, and they, they both ask these, like, really fundamental questions about what is the world anyway? What is real? How do we know? What's it made of? What should we do in it? You know, uh, and and so so we we ended up being in these fields that did ask actually kind of similar questions. And I was at the time, you know, I was writing a, a dissertation on, on curiosity in philosophy, and Danny was doing a postdoc um, thinking about neural flexibility which is how does our mind flexibly respond to and learn um, in, in, in response to its environment. And, and we were talking and, and really, I was like, you know what, there's something here between, our, between the things we're doing right now. You're doing learning and neural flexibility. I'm doing philosophy and curiosity. There's something here. Uh, and so it was really at that moment that we thought, okay, we we got we we now have the opportunity to start working together. Uh, could we, I say that uh, you saw the connection? <laughs> we yeah. saw the connection. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yes. you know, we were so well sort. Of, we had established our own selves enough that we were like, you know, we can come. We can really come back together and come back together in a much richer way, even than when we when we were, when we were kids, right? To be able to actually create knowledge together and to write together and to put about a book together or hopefully multiple books. 
Um, so that that was really the moment. It's a it's a good story. Well, you know, I, I you know, I, I, a question just popped into my head because I've always heard, you know, from twins. I imagine people have asked you the story that there is a special connection between twins, and that there is an energy that sometimes one will know something is happening. And I'm thinking about physics, Danny, and how that fits into it. And then I'm thinking about the philosophical question: is you know, what is life, <laughs> right? And how do we how do we define this incredible phenomenology of of what is that kind of energetic force that there can be a knowing without knowing? Of course, that's my curiosity. And I'm just wondering if that was ever part of the equation. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't have a good answer to what the physics is behind that. In fact, I don't think I can connect physics <laughs> to, to that <laughs> okay. experience. Um, but I, but it is an experience that we have, that we've had. We've always, we, you know, as many identical twins had our own language when we were kids, um, we've, we always have been able to understand how the other person is thinking or feeling in a, in a sort of surreal way that is unlike our ability to do that with anyone else. Um, and I think one of the special things about writing this book was that it was the emergence of yet another shared language that we get, got to make together. Well, why don't we get started about talking a little bit about the book? And I'm going to start with a, a question um, uh, that as you, um, let's second, I'm just going to get my notes out here as, as we're talking about this, you know, this whole question about curiosity is that, um, your book is subtitled The Power of Connection. Now, are you talking about the connection between different subjects? In other words, are you advocating for an interdisciplinary approach to, well, everything? Or are you suggesting that when people are curious, they're actually craving connection, as in the curiosity, in a way, we feel a basic human need? Yeah, we're really, we're in a sense, we're talking about all of that. So, we, you know, we've We've studied curiosity and the way that curiosity has been approached in philosophy and, and physics and psychology and neuroscience. Um, and really, it's been thought of as this this desire to acquire new information, right? I have a question. I need to go find an answer. It's that simple. That's curiosity. But for us, we just think that's, that's really watered down and it doesn't seem to really capture what curiosity feels like or what it does in the world. And so we've def- we've offered a new definition of curiosity, a new framework, and that is that curiosity is this capacity to connect, to connect um, ideas to ideas, people to people, ourselves to our world and to our futures and to what we want to make together and what we want to know together. Um, so curiosity is really this capacity to connect. Without those connections, knowledge isn't really knowledge. And, and that's something that Danny is particularly adept at explaining. Yeah, so I think it was it was John Dewey who um, wrote in in 1912-ish that knowledge is such a network of interconnections that any past experience would offer a point of advantage from which to get at the problems presented in a new experience. So what he's saying is that um, knowledge is this this pattern of connections between ideas and between people that allows us to learn from the past and make different decisions in the future or make new decisions or or make a new world in the future. Um, and it's that connective nature that affords us this capacity for change. So if you if you only gather independent pieces of information, as curiosity has historically been thought about for for many centuries, um, then you end up with sort of a pile of 
bits, right? Bits of information, maybe like a pile of coins that you can sort of stash away somewhere or acorns if you're a squirrel, right? You just got a, got a lot of pieces. Um, but what do you do with the pieces? Um, when they're completely independent, it's very difficult to know what to do with them except to sort of take it out and, and look at it every now and then. So that's where the sort of curiosity cabinet comes from. Oh, here's a curiosity. I'll take it out. I'll look at it and I'll put it back. Um, but it doesn't allow us to sort of do something functional. Now, in contrast, when we think about curiosity as this connective um, power, then we can do something with that information. We can connect people, we can learn from the past, we can predict the future, and we can make change in the future. And so that's this, this sort of function or mental affordance that curiosity offers to us. Well, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about also what's been happening with social media. And I think we've seen where social you know, media has really upended our world in terms of, you know, how we experience um, what happens in different parts of the world. Like I, we're doing a project in Ukraine right now in the Trauma Resource Institute. And I'm just amazed that I have been able to meet with my Ukrainian colleagues really every week since the war started to provide support and healing support meetings. And I don't have to be there to provide that support. I think that's one of the positive things about, you know, Zoom and and also the social media that, can get people listening in on something that's a very positive force. But I think we've also seen where the opposite is true, the people's curiosity that leads them to, let's say, conspiracy theories that, you know, in my view, gets kind of, gets dangerous in terms of connectedness with others that are actually kind of in a, in a darker space in a darker world. So I'm just, this is a question we didn't really prepare, but really comes to mind right now. It seems very pertinent. If Would it be okay for one of you or both of you to respond to that? Yeah, I mean, my immediate thought is just to invite you to say more because it seems to me that that moment and, and you know, people who work as, as therapists um, speak to this, that moment for you offering healing and, and facilitation of healing for people in Ukraine for, for months now um, requires a certain curiosity from you about who you talk to, about the setting and what's changing and what's happening and from the people who show up to you. Um, there has to be a certain curiosity about what, what am I feeling? What am I going through? What, how could I negotiate it? How am I negotiating it? How am I not negotiating it? Um, and so it's just, I just wanted to highlight that. I think there's a, there's a vibrant curiosity in precisely in the relationship or in the connection that exactly. you were, that you were, um, experiencing and sharing in. And that's, that's precisely the kind of curiosity we want to talk about. That's a relational curiosity. That's a curiosity that doesn't, it's not that you come in and you try to take knowledge from whoever you're meeting with and go use it for something, you know, you're building it together. And, th- and that's, that's more of the style of curiosity we're talking about. Well, I think that's a, to me, it's a scalability of healing that if you can do something where you're talking to someone and that your curiosity about saying, well, what are the questions that are coming up for you right now as you're faced with shellings in your neighborhood six times a day? And how does it affect your children? And how can we across the the world in California versus Ukraine, how can we provide some element of support that creates this connection? And also to me, what's very important is that piece of common humanity. And yeah. and that that's what I just felt by talking to you even before the start of the show is that there was a piece of common humanity that was coming forth in the way that you both speak. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. And and Danny, do you have anything you want to say about this kind of serendipitous questions that comes up that came up? Yeah, no, I mean just just to sort of underscore that really wonderful um pathway towards making knowledge together. Um and I guess it made me think about 
um, in in my area of scientific inquiry, how much and how important it is to be making knowledge together with one another and to be acknowledging the ways in which we inform one another's thought um, instead of sort of pretending that we're lone pioneers somewhere. Well, and also that there's a synergy, you know, yes. in terms of yes. when there's two of you or more that come together. And as you said, the two of you wrote the book together. And I've, you know, just finished the second edition of my book, which will be coming out in March of 2023. It's published by Rutledge. Um, and it's called Building Resilience to Trauma. And some of the chapters when we were writing it, I mean, the synergy was just like, you could almost feel the air of excitement when we came together. That would not have been the same if it was just me writing a chapter by myself. Yes. Yes. That's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me get to the next question because I want to hear about, you know, your philosophy and it has to do with, um, you propose that there are three main kinds of curiosity. Uh, can you explain to us what they are? Can you tell us a bit about each and how, how are they practical for us like in our everyday life to know about these different ways that we make, we can be curious and how they intersect with one another? Yeah, I'll leave Danny to chat about the sort of applicability and intersection of the of of the three types. But I, I'll give a little bit of background. So in the book, we do talk about three different styles of curiosity that um, I actually developed by looking back over the history of Western thought and and saying not just like how has curiosity been d- defined. Because honestly, if you read definitions for thousands of years, it's not all that interesting. <laughs> but not how is, how is, how has curiosity been defined, but how has it been described. So what kind of like personality traits has curiosity been attri- has been attributed to curiosity over centuries and across continents and across you know countries so that was that was the inquiry and what what came up was there really are kind of three t- styles or three types of curiosity that seem can kind of consistent for about 2000 or more or almost 3000 years and that's interesting and the three types were or the three styles are the busybody uh, the busybody is someone who's interested in all kinds of things, right? Likes to know everyone else's business and or is a jack of all trees, is, you know, what w- loves the news, just wants to know all, any story, every story, no matter where it's coming from. Then there's the hunter. The hunter is someone who's much more focused and tends to want to know everything about something specific, right? This is my specialty. This is my expertise. This is what I'm invested in. I want to know everything about this, not about everything else. And then the third is the dancer. And the dancer is someone who thinks, what wild things could I do or could I think with this information in front of me, right? What, what, how can I be creative here? How can I imagine new ways of putting two and two together? Um, so those are the three styles of curiosity that are historically identified, at least, or identifiable in my work. And then, Danny, do you want to chat about sort of the, their use va- value for people today? Yeah, absolutely. So once Perry had found these three different styles of curiosity in the sort of history of Western intellectual thought, then we collaborated together with uh, David Lydon Staley, who is now a professor in the School of Communication at Penn. And um, collectively, we uh, have we ran a study where we had people browsing Wikipedia as kind of a practice of curiosity. And we asked, are people browsing Wikipedia in the same ways as these three styles? In other words, um, is it the case that the way that we engage in curiosity today is the same as the way we've been engaging with it for thousands of years? Or 
the alternative is that maybe today we're using really different styles of curiosity, um, perhaps because of the information age or because of social media or because of the new technologies that we have available to us. So that was the question that we had. And what we found is that people um, were very similar to these ancient archetypes uh, that Perry had excavated earlier. So um, we saw people who were very uh, busybody-like. They would move from one page, web page to another that were very distant from one another. So for example, they would go from um, a page about rhododendrons to a page about um, gaming, maybe. Uh, so that would be a really, really large jump. <laughs> very um, large jump, yes. Very large jump. And then other people were more hunter-like. So for example, one person studied um, or read about the royal family for 21 days <laughs> in the study. Another person read mostly about Jewish history um, for 21 days. <laughs> Uh, in this study. And so it's really interesting that we can see these. And then a lot of people were in between, right? But we could see these two styles. We could see lots of people in between. And we what we also found is that these are sort of um, somewhat intrinsic to us in the sense that uh, somebody who's more busybody-like or more like the butterfly on the first day of um, browsing Wikipedia sort of stays much like a busybody or butterfly all the way through the 21 days. And similarly, a hunter will stay very hunter-like. But there are, there are slight variations, which means that we aren't fully determined. Um, we aren't exactly the same curiosity style every day, but we do have tendencies for one style versus another. Um, and then maybe I'll end by saying, I think it's very possible that we use different styles in different contexts. So maybe when I'm browsing Wikipedia, I'm more this way, um, and but maybe in another part of my life, I'm a different way. So um, for example, when I read for pleasure, I read very eclectically um, and the books I'm reading are about as different as rhododendrons and gaming. Um, although I don't read books about gaming. But I do read books about rhododendrons. Uh, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but um, when I'm doing science, I think I, I mix and match these different curiosity styles in, in a particular order that supports inquiry. So I will start a research project, be more busybody, like what can I find about this or that or this? And, and where will I find my next new, new idea? And then once I find something, I tend to be more hunter-like and really track the, piece, in. the information that I want to know, um, develop experiments, test hypotheses, etc. And then at the end of a research project, I, I try to broaden back out again to be more like the dancer to say, how does this finding, this discovery relate to the world? How does it, how would it make us think differently about this um, nearby field or this nearby problem? And so that's more of the, the, the dancer style. Well, I guess I was as asking, do you think that we, we have a dominant style that kind of leads and then these other two come in to play? I think so, yes. Um, and I think, but then it, we may have a dominant style for different parts of our lives. So for reading, I may just always be the busybody butterfly type. Okay. And how about how about you, Perry? What do you identify with in terms of what's dominant and how would it, how would it be the same or, or maybe it is the same or different from Danny? Um, I really want to be a perfect marriage of the hunter and dancer. Um, and I, but I, I read super widely and I, my work is very interdisciplinary and doesn't fit well in, in anywhere really, um, or it fits well everywhere. Uh, so I am, I am already the busybody, but I think when I sit down, I, I really, I, I feel, uh, deeply connected to my writing practice. And when I sit down to write, I want to be 
meticulously careful, right? And to know my subject in and out, whatever it is. And then I want to be deeply creative. I want, I want to surprise myself, right? I want the page to surprise me. Uh, so I want those, those are two things I know that I value a lot in my, in my work. Well, I'm just wondering have, uh, may, if you've done any um, exploration in how this may be different across the lifespan, like a teenager versus someone in their middle age and, uh, and someone like me, who's an elder, um, who's lived most of her life and, you know, I can identify with all three as you're talking about them. And I think that I do all three, but I think I like the dancer the best because I love to create things that are new and innovative, which has been a big part of what I've done in life. So I'm just curious. So. Yeah. I mean, I've done talks about this anywhere from early, early middle school uh, through to adult education, um, senior education and people tend to resonate with the styles what no matter whether they're super young or super old interesting. Um, but you know there's always somebody though who says ah, i'm not any of those right and 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 it's and it's interesting when it comes from someone who's in fifth grade for example uh versus you know someone who's been retired for a long time um but and and we leave room for that so we are not we're committed to these three as being helpful and interesting and they seem to resonate across history and across yeah age groups and and even um countries and, and things but the but we also at the toward the end of the book we present what's called a bestiary of um curiosity where we try to think about animals and other creatures who demonstrate practices of curiosity we could learn from and so we have different styles there that it could expand beyond the beyond the the three our, our favorites one of my favorites is the octopus um what would it be to have an octopus like curiosity right you have like eight arms and you have danny how many brains and hearts yeah nine brains and three hearts nine, nine brains, brains and three hearts oh my gosh i wish i had all of those at times yeah maybe i mean that might be <laughs> yes, totally that could your dancer your yes. dancer self right might be something that has that that much heart that much brain that many like reaching out to engage the world um yeah so we we want to ex- we're not we're we're excited to expand beyond the three as well and so has anybody come up and said oh I think you should add this fourth one yet. I mean, maybe the octopus. I don't know. But I, I love the fact that you're exploring other ideas. So it doesn't have to only be the three. Yeah, no one's been like, here, do this one. Um, but there has been, there's always someone who says, I, th- I think there must be more, right? Um, and we welcome that. Great, let's talk about it. Well, I, I think it's also a really wonderful way to explore. I, I think about it in education. And here you had the advantage of being homeschooled. And your mom sounds like she was an incredible teacher. But oftentimes, I, I'm just wondering in terms of the restriction that education can sometimes be, where you may have a teacher that is very singularly focused, and you have a child who's a butterfly, or who is um, the dancer. And so then that can, I can imagine that can squelch some of the, you know, the, the um, the desire to learn if you don't have a teacher that's open actually to all three that you describe. Yeah. Yeah. Or the octopus. Like imagine a teacher who says you can only use one of your arms. Oh my God. That would be terrible. Right. Yeah. And but yeah. we know that there's educational systems that are set up that way. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there are even disciplines that are set up that way. So where sort of only hunter-like curiosity, for example, is valued. Well, I, I think you. this is so much food for thought, and I can't wait till the second half of our show. And I can't believe we've already gone through again. 
this first half of the show. And it seems like we've just touched the surface in all of this, this amazing work. So we're going to be back in just a couple of minutes with Danny Bassett and Perry Zern. And we are going to talk more about their wonderful book. Now say the name of your book, both. What's the name of it? Curious Minds, The Power of Connection. Okay, because we want you to go out and buy this book. And I'm sure there are many ways that you can buy it, including Amazon and other. You're probably, you can also get it from the library, I would think as well. So in any event, we will back, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes after we hear from our sponsor, the Trauma Resource Institute and others and continue this lively conversation. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with Perry Zern and Danny Bassett. 
They are identical twins, and they have written a most fascinating book called Curious Minds, The Power of Connection. It was published by MIT Press in September of 2022. And as we were discussing right before the break, so I was saying um, at, during the break that, oh, there's so many segues of this topic, where it could lead. You were talking about how different work environments are really wanting to have more information. I'm wondering if you could say more about that. <clears throat> yeah, so companies are really interested in um, creating potentially creating space in their employees' days for the different kinds of curiosity. So what would it mean to allow some individuals to have moments for busybody-like curiosity or dancer-like curiosity or hunter-like curiosity? Um, and actually, uh, during the break, you said something about space. What, it, what would it mean to have spaces for those different kinds of curiosity? And I think that's really interesting, too, and could motivate um, a new way of thinking about architecture. So how do you build buildings that have spaces for people to engage in these different um, styles of curiosity throughout their day? Um, yeah, so it's, it really does um, touch on a lot of different areas of our life. And, it, and that reminds me, our, one of our first talks, Danny, on the subject of Curious Minds, even before I think we had a book project, um, was at MIT Lab, the Media Lab. And, yeah. Yeah. and they have specifically structured their space uh, to be all the walls are glass, specifically because they want they don't want boundaries between disciplines and between kind of foci. And they want everyone sort of knowing and interacting and seeing and um, it, breaking down these boundaries. Right. But I remember also Danny and I at the time when we saw it, we were both introverts. And so when we saw it, we were like, are there any places to hide and work quietly? Yeah. <laughs> Which would be its own problem, yeah. And were there any spaces to work quietly, I wonder? They had a little pod um, that you could go into and close the door, and it was sort of this, the size of maybe a, maybe a shower. Uh, not not enough space in my in my estimation, <laughs> because I'm an extrovert, and I as I've gotten older, I need more space, hmm. right? And I think that's something that is, I, I don't know, I think that's important time for many of us for reflection to have that. So that's interesting because I'm wondering if the person who designed that was an extrovert. They didn't take the, intro, the introverts um, in mind. But let's, let's continue. I want to talk about another, um, I think, very important question right now is that the world is a bit rough right now. Um, COVID, you know, the mass shootings, the shooting that just happened in Colorado, racial injustice, the threats to women's rights and trans rights. Um, I've already mentioned Ukraine. So can curiosity save us from any of this, this these tragedies that keep happening in our world? It's such an important, big, hard question. Um, and I think what I would say is that without curiosity, we'll have very difficult time navigating, negotiating, solving in some cases and addressing the things that you've that you've described. Um, curiosity asks, you know, what what is actually happening? And we need to get curious, right? If it's if it's about gun control, what actually are the policies? How could they be changing? Right? We need to we need to ask questions about why climate change is happening and what could what could shift things. And so we need to ask what's actually happening. And then we need to ask, okay, what is the thing we need to focus on, right? If there's a lever that could make significant change around this issue, what is that thing? And that's more of the, that's the hunter coming in, right? And then we have to ask, what is the world we really want to imagine? So sometimes, sometimes I think we get so busy reacting to what's happening and react, 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 that we don't think big about 
a vision for what it would be like to be together differently, right? We just say, we don't want this and we don't want that. We don't want that because all those things are horrible. But what is the thing we want to create? What is the thing we want to invest in? What is the thing we want to build? That's all that requires curiosity. So curiosity is necessary to, to living through, living with, hopefully living beyond the kind of challenges you're describing. Well, I guess, and the other thing that I'm thinking about is connection. One of the things I've seen in many places around the world where I've traveled is when there is this this conflict that happens that can lead to violence is that there's an inability to connect. And maybe there's an inability to be curious about that piece of common humanity that can lead to social justice. So um, I don't know if either one of you would want to reflect on that. Yeah, Danny. Yeah, just that I love that point, um, that it's a curiosity about our shared humanity. Um, And I think that learning more about the experiences of others just seems, I think when I was talking to a friend the other day and feeling that we need to make more space in our lives for stories, for hearing the stories of other people and hearing the experiences of other people and being curious and wanting to know more about those stories. Um, And that that would really alter, I think, our perspectives on ourselves, on the world, on one another um, in a way that I think could, could really change the future. Well, I, I, and I guess my, my next question has to do with our educational system and knowing that the children, you know, they're not only are very important for a present, but for our future. And when I've seen where there have been educational systems that have been very um, narrowly focused, that have not broadened the perspective of children, then I think we've seen that, all, I've seen that all over the world. Have, do, you, do you both have an idea of how you would like, and kind of like, I guess we'd have to go um, into the, your, into the dancer about what would be that educational system. Um, Not everyone has an incredible advantage as you both did in having your mom. I just love what she created for both of you, Um, but not always possible. But what, I mean, knowing that what she did could possibly be possible in a school situation, I guess. Um, But anyway, what, any reflections on that? And you you both have young children. Is that, is that correct? Yes. So I imagine you've thought about this a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things for me is to think about um, these to think about classrooms. So, yeah, we weren't really in a classroom, but we we teach we teach regularly in classrooms. And um, I think it's important to think about who is in that room and how how are they curious? How do they practice their curiosity in ways that I might not recognize or you might not recognize, but that is just as vibrant and real and valid? Um, and I think specifically one of the biggest challenges I think for educators today is to think across this kind of um, neurotypicality, neuroatypicality spectrum of, of, of how is it that folks are putting two to, to it together? How is it that they're connecting the dots? How is it they're thinking about what they're learning in relationship to their life and beyond? Um, these things are different for different people. And if we have a one size fits all roughly, um, approach to education and to learning, so, so many people are going to be pushed pushed out, pushed back. You know, I think I've been reading about the educational losses during COVID for, for, for K through 12ers. And we just, we just need to be thinking much more carefully about the vibrant diversity of curiosity in our own classrooms and responding to that rather than thinking top down, what do I need to teach these um, folks? Yeah. And, and Danny, do you have any perspectives as well on this? 
Yeah, um, I think I think it's interesting, you know, definitely what Perry is saying is to notice what the kind of curiosity is in another person. So it's as if you need to get curious about their curiosity. Um, and then I also think that we need ways of changing or, or expanding perhaps um, the assessment mechanisms in classrooms. Um, so I'm thinking particularly about uh, college classrooms, but I think this expands down into the into the uh, K through twelve sector as well, which is that how do you create um, assessments, essay prompts, or uh, exams um, or projects that allow for people to um, explore maybe the, the different kinds of curiosity that they may have or focus in on the one that, that's most um, relevant to them. I think that very often, I alluded earlier to the fact that there can be some disciplines that feel as if they're focusing on valuing um, only one kind of curiosity, like a hunter-like curiosity. And I, I often feel that science is, is that way, that it really values hunter-like curiosity and it values papers that are written as if they were by a hunter and it values um, hunter like talks and it's just it's just very it's just that way um and i wonder what science would be like if we valued these different styles of curiosity in one another um would we attract different kinds of students and would that expand the diversity of our ideas and expand the field and allow us to make discoveries that we we can't make now because we're so focused on on isolating just this one kind of curiosity um, so yeah, I just get excited about what it could do for science in the future. Well, and Danny, I couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I created two um, different um, uh, interventions, one called the community resiliency model, the other called the trauma resiliency model. And as a key developer of both models, I would go to places and go, I've got this great idea. And the question would be, well, we only do evidence-based practices. Mm -hmm. So basically the hunter, right? And so that I go, I know that's the case, but it is based on science. It's based on, you know, you. I think, you know, for me, and I often say it just like this, when you create something, you stand on the shoulders of other people who've come before you because you're curious about what other people have done. And then you may have this amalgam of ideas. And then, you know, then comes the dancer. And I, that's what I'm saying. I've been quite a dancer, <laughs> even though I'm not a dancer, I'm a dancer for fun. But in any event, but bringing in those ideas, and I can think of people, you know, just the doors being closed, but there was always usually some person that would say, hmm, well, I've got these discretionary funds. It sounds interesting. And maybe we could try that. And now that you're talking, I realize I'm thinking his name was Ralph Ortiz, Dr. Ralph Ortiz, a psychologist in San Bernardino County. And he was a dancer. He mm -hmm. danced with me about the possibility of what was an idea that came out of being a busybody and being a hunter, because you also have to have some dedication to something when you create something. But if you don't have that, to me, the dancer is about what can also create what's new and what's possible. And if, like you say, if we stick with only this way, it limits the, the, uh, the creativity of change. I don't know. Yeah. I get kind of excited yeah. about that idea. But anyway, what, 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 what do you all think about what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I love the fact, I love this idea that you danced together um, because that actually makes me think a lot about mentorship and how we even learn styles of curiosity. Yes. So maybe we have one tendency, but we want to be able to mix and match as is necessary for whatever the project is that we're working on. So that how do we learn different styles of curiosity? I think partly we do that through mentoring. And we talk about that in the book. Um, how, how do we, 
mentor someone else in a curiosity style? Um, and how do we learn from another person's curiosity style? Uh, and so I think that doing it together is this sort of apprenticeship model almost, or maybe it's not even apprenticeship, but it's sort of between friends, um, is one way that we that we learn the curiosity of other people's and, and try practicing it ourselves in that fashion. Um, I think that, that that like doing it together is is a powerful way to learn a, a new style of curiosity. Well, and and that dancing together um, with innovation, how exciting that is! And I'm just thinking too. I, your mother keeps popping into my head, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what an amazing woman who yeah. said to you, "Oh, you want to study mushrooms? Okay." So that was like that's like an innovation in curiosity idea. And then she had to be singularly focused about finding everything about mushrooms to deliver to Perry. Right. right. So, um, so I think you probably learned, I, I imagine you give your mom a lot of credit um, for inspiring some of the, I guess she, uh, planted seeds and you have some pretty strong oak trees that have developed from those seeds <laughs> that are carrying this forth. So, you know, let me um, swerve over to, um, I'm curious when you talk about speaking of science, how are fundamental theories of phys- physics relevant to the mind and to this topic that we're talking about? I guess, is that over to you, Danny, or is that both of yeah. you? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, so the way that uh, what's really interesting about the human mind is that it turns out that there's a particular piece of the brain um, that is activated when or that and that helps us therefore to connect pieces of information. So um, this piece of the brain is called the hippocampal entorhinal system and it's kind of in the center of the brain. It also helps us with um, memory, for example, uh, and it also helps us to navigate the world, navigate physical spaces, kind of figure out distances and, and know how to move around obstacles and get to where we need to go. Um, but so this part of the brain is very important for a lot of reasons. But what's really interesting is that um, that piece of the brain maps out these uh, conceptual connections between um, different uh, pieces of information that we uh, are exposed to. And um, in doing that learning, there are very sort of foundational principles of physics, including um, principles of thermodynamics um, that allow us to understand how much energy we put into building new connections versus um, how uh, accurate we want our mental models to be. And our mind is constantly doing a tug of war. It's trying to minimize the amount of energy that we put into building models, um, but maximize the accuracy of our models. So you can't have both. You can't have a fully accurate model of the world and um, be very m- mentally lazy, right? Or exert little energy. So there's this constant tug of war such that we put some effort into building the models, um, but our models are never perfect. So this sort of very foundational idea in physics explains to us um, to some degree why um, we always build imperfect models of the world. Um, so that's that's where physics comes in. Well, I'm, as, as you're talking, I was thinking about Steve Jobs, although mm-hmm. he came into mind. Um, I, I grew up not far from him. I didn't know him personally, but I knew a lot of people that worked for him when he was still alive. And I, I'm thinking about that 
energy, I mean, and I don't know if this is on the, I'm on the right course. So you have to please correct me if I'm not, but I'm thinking about the energy that I would read about him. Like, for example, he knew someone who knew, um, different lithograph how to how to scribe in all these different ways and so he went up to i think he went up to oregon someplace and he talked to some professor and that there was an energy that he had he was so curious i mean talk about curiosity right but i think at the time his parents kind of thought he was lazy so I, you know what I'm saying is that juxtaposition yeah. between the curious, creative mind that is brilliant, that changes the world, literally, mm-hmm. and then also these ideas that we have of what um, that what um, is successful. Yes. So yeah. I'm just wondering if you both of you or you know take turns if you could just uh, comment on where I'm going with that. I think you kind of get an idea. It's it's it can be it can cause so much um, suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think this is what's so, so important, uh, is to to realize that curiosity gets misrecognized, right? Uh, what's happening with yes. the, the par- Steve Jobs' parents and, and Steve is that he's being wildly curious, and it's it's go- it's just being lost, right? It's just not, not being appropriately recognized, encouraged, facilitated, et cetera, by his parents. That is, I think that happens over and over again. It happens in schools, absolutely. But it also happens in our workplaces. Um, it happens, I think, in our friendships. I think it happens in our relationships. Sometimes one of the problems is that we don't see and validate the kind of curious efforts that a partner is having toward us and trying to understand us and trying to work through something, right? And we just don't see it. We don't recognize it because it's not the thing we were looking for that we or the way we would have done it, right? Um, so I think I think we have to expand expand what we think curiosity is and get better at recognizing it when it's happening in ways that we might not have practiced it. Yeah, I can see where it could cause a lot of problems in relationships is that you might just be curious and wanting to do X, Y, and Z. And and the person goes, I just wanted you to take out the garbage. And you're going, well, but wait a second, I'm building, I'm building a whole garden in the backyard that's going to produce flowers and fruits and vegetables for us over the next year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Daddy. Yes. I think it also. I think it also relates to how um, we can be uh, good allies, um, particularly uh, anti-racist um, allies. So one of the very common um, for people who are committed to uh, anti-racist practices, uh, we want to be curious about the experiences of people of color. For example, I want to be curious about the experiences of people of color. Um, but in being curious, I don't want to um, assume that when I learn something about them, it's just like my experience in this other domain. So they experienced a microaggression that was a racial mi- microaggression. And I say, oh, I had this experience of a very sexist interaction. And so that, that you know, we had the same experience. And it sort of simplifies and um, narrows and assumes similarities um, that, that really don't allow for the complexity of experience but it is motivated by a kind of curiosity. So I think it's important when we're saying we need to recognize the curiosity in others and sort of broaden our appreciation of different kinds of curiosity. I think we have to recognize too that sometimes the curiosity that we have 
is is starts in the right direction and then falls <laughs> and we need to continually expand it and say no allow for this this huge complexity of never actually understanding the other person's experience maybe steve jobs parents would never actually understand his curiosity because it's so different than theirs right and maybe i will never understand the experience of a person of color but i can be curious about it in allowing that complexity and Danny and Perry, do you have anything you want to add to what Danny said? Or not? I mean, I do think, you know, we we chatted about this right before we started, the the curiosity killed the cat adage. Um, and there's a, I do think that there's a long, long history of thinking about the dangers of curiosity. So curiosity can certainly do amazing things and has done amazing things. And I think it is key to certain to addressing certain really important um, challenges to our to our present day, and we need to just like any social practice, any interpersonal practice, any individual practice. We need to think about how we're doing it, where we're doing it, with whom we're doing it, modeled on what and for what ends. Right? It, it needs to be situated in a in a greater context for it to have the kind of potential that that it couldn't really have. So that's 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 how I would situate. Um, curiosities capacity both you know for ill or for good like if we really wanted to do good things let's think about it in 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 that much broader context we only have a few minutes left it's been such a lively and such a provocative um conversation and as we're getting ready to end today i'm wondering if each one of you could could leave us with you know a parting thought maybe something that you're hoping that if they buy the book that what they're going to get out of reading the book so um, can I start with Perry and then go to Danny? Sure, I would say uh, that, honestly, I want to say that there's a wonderful poem uh, called Curiosity by Alistair Reed. And he actually rewrites the story of curiosity killing the cat. And he says, actually, it was just the cat who got really curious about dying. Um, mm. and, 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 and it becomes the cat wanting to experience something new. And um, I want to, I just sort of want to plant that there and say that kind of like wild kind of mind warp of, of you've been thinking about curiosity all this way or cats this way. Now think about it this way. That's the experience of the book. We really want to invite you to have that kind of dramatic shift in, in your approach to, to curiosity. Danny. Yeah. And I think I'm also really hoping that people become very curious about themselves and can learn to appreciate something new and different about themselves that maybe their whole lives they've been they've thought of themselves as less curious or of this particular kind of curiosity and and um maybe not living up to expectations in certain ways or maybe just not even understanding what was inside of them and so i think i'm hoping that people read it and see oh my gosh i've my mind works this way now i understand um and and that that then leads that self-understanding then leads also to a greater appreciation for the diversity of curiosity and people around them at their workplace um in their families um in their friends well i would just want to say as we're closing today that you are so hopeful um and i think that there's also a great um, zest, a spark. In Spanish, we call it la chispa de la vida um, in what you're talking about that I just have to say that I, I, I love. I often end the, I, I end the show with this statement every time, what else is true? And I think you both have just said that. The mm -hmm. cat, you know, the curiosity didn't kill the cat. Curiosity inspired the cat to think about 
dying, something that is incredibly human and so important for us all to do. Mm-hmm. So I want to um, also let our guests know that they can get in touch with you. Danny, what's your website? Yes, it's dannysbassett.com. And Perry, what is your um, website? Perryzern.com. And finally, the your book, Curious Minds, The Powers of Connection. Please go out and buy it. I certainly will myself. And I wish you both very well. And thank you so much for being here today. And thank you, listeners, for joining us again for another episode of Resiliency Within. And again, I want to remind you to remember what's true in your life. We all suffer, but we also can be curious about what else could happen, may happen, and maybe has already happened in your life that you can call to mind today. And remember to not only think about it, but try to bring it into your sensation to really sense that possibility. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.